Welcome to In Conversation, the regular podcast of eSharp magazine. Go to eSharp.eu for free access to all our podcasts to date. This is Paul Adamson. I'm in conversation with Stephen Fiddler. Stephen Fiddler is the UK and Brexit editor of the Wall Street Journal, and before that, for eight years, was a Brussels bureau chief of the Wall Street Journal. We're going to talk about Brexit, Steve, obviously, but since events are moving so quickly, I think it's only fair to point out we're recording this at the beginning of the first week in November, just in case events move on even more rapidly in the days that follow. Um, Theresa May, as you know, has been saying that the the deal, the withdrawal agreement is 95% done and what's left is simply 5%. But how intractable, how, how difficult is this remaining 5% as far as you're concerned? Well, obviously the hardest things uh, are left until last and the hardest things are the things that remain. And the things that remain are essentially how to uh, get around the problem of the uh, Irish border and how to avoid the uh, re-emergence of uh, controls at the Irish border and the uh, European Union's solution for that so far would be to in effect create a uh, regulatory and customs border down the Irish Sea um, and that's something that um, Theresa May has ruled out. Um, so. Getting around that right. issue is is clearly the uh, major part of the 5% that remains and uh, one of the most difficult parts. So, but Theresa May's sort of counter-proposal to the E27 proposal for this border down the Irish Sea is to have a, a customs union uh, throughout the UK with the, with the EU, not just Northern Ireland, is that correct? That seems to be... I, it's. It's not clear that anybody, uh, any spokesperson of the UK government has admitted that is the uh, uh, idea that uh, she has, um, but that is generally accepted to be the way that, uh, that it's going. So to avoid the customs uh, part of the uh, controls uh, in the Irish Sea, uh, the solution from the UK part would be to, from the UK would be to, to say, okay, create let the UK remain in effect in the EU's customs union, and that would uh, obviate the need for customs controls in the Irish Sea. Um, the problem so far with that has been that that is a question for a future relationship, uh, and the future relationship um, would not be, uh, so far anyway, would not be part of the withdrawal agreement, which is mainly about divorce issues. So the question... Uh, for the UK is if the if the all UK customs union is the resolution to the Northern Ireland backstop, how do you incorporate that into the withdrawal agreement such that the House of Commons and other people would uh, take it seriously and uh, it would show uh, a way forward that would involve um, that would mean that the Northern Ireland only backstop wouldn't need to come into effect. And there's also the small point, though, isn't it, about EU27 agreeing to the, a UK-wide uh, customs union as well, that so far they haven't signed any uh, enthusiasm for such a solution. Um, I, think, I think the customs union um, idea would be acceptable to uh, the EU27 on the basis of certain conditions. And I think that's the, a tricky uh, issue, and those conditions really haven't been discussed very much in the UK. And I think um, the conditions would essentially 
probably be um, around the so-called level playing field issues. So right. the conditions for an all-UK customs union would be things like the UK continuing to sign on to um, state aid policies, um, you know, policies limiting state aid, competition policies, uh, broad labour and um, environmental policies. Um, so level playing field provisions. And the other question, issue, of course, if the UK is in effect part of the EU customs union, it wouldn't be able to sign uh, free trade agreements on its own. Uh, it would, in effect, have to remain part of the EU's um, area. And so the much vaunted free trade deals with the US and China and others that the UK has talked about would have to be delayed at least until the customs union um, you know, until the UK left the customs union. And under what conditions, what kind of criteria would have to be met for the UK to feel or to be allowed to leave the custom, this customs union if it were to be agreed between the UK and the EU? I think this, uh, that, that question of when the UK would leave is the reason that I suspect that the Northern Ireland backstop language will remain in the withdrawal agreement. So there will be a, a reference to that because the UK would, uh, the EU would have to be comforted that under no circumstances would there be a border uh, re-emerging in Ireland. So that the Northern Ireland only backstop would have to remain and uh, it would be up to the UK to tell Parliament that um, such is the wording for the uh, for the whole of the UK and the customs union that that it's uh, you know very very unlikely or impossible that the Northern Ireland backstop would ever be invoked. Um, the other thing I think that is also not discussed that if the Northern Ireland is in both the EU customs union and is the only part of the UK that's in the EU single market, right. it actually competitively is in a very good position. It uh, and I think if you talk to Northern Ireland businesses, some of them say this actually puts us in a very a very good position. So the opposition, I think, in Northern Ireland um, to it is kind of um, certainly not across the board. And, you know, there are a lot of business people in Northern Ireland thinking, actually, this is a very good solution for us. But amongst the people on the Conservative side of the equation uh, and the, well, the Brexit side of the equation in Britain, Britain either it's the DUP or the, or the hard Brexiteers, they either go for this idea of a, a, a border in, in the Irish Sea, as you say, which suits maybe some of the hard-nosed uh, Brexiteers, but not the DUP. Uh, and the uh, UK-wide customs union satisfies the DUP, but not the hard-nosed Brexiteers. Absolutely. Um, and at some point, this uh, is going to have to be confronted by the government. And I think the, uh, the government's calculation would be... Uh, effectively to dare uh, one or the other to vote this down. But so when this agreement, assuming it's made, and of course it may not be, but assuming it's made, is presented to the House of Commons, would, uh, how likely is it that Brexiteers and the anti-EU uh, brigade in the uh, Conservative Party are going to vote against it? Mm. If they voted against it um, and risk the deal not passing, then the big, the big chance they take is that without a deal, Parliament will reverse itself and decide we need to have a look at this again. We'll either need to extend Article 50 and push the uh, leaving date back so that a proper deal can be negotiated that's acceptable, or 
they might even have to come back to the idea of a second referendum, which the supporters call a popular vote, because uh, I think the increasing recognition is among, among people uh, that a no-deal exit for the UK on March 29 next year will be pretty disastrous for the economy. So uh, the anti uh, people who didn't want this deal from the from the anti EU side would would really um, be, potentially be risking what they desire most of all, which is to leave the EU on March 29th next year. If they put that into jeopardy, um, then their whole project is 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 um, uh, could be reversed. And is the government still trying to, to push this idea that their, def their definition of a meaningful vote is basically take it or leave it? Here we have a deal. If we have a deal, says May in the House of Commons, uh, but if you, the House of Commons in its entirety, not just the, the Tory benches and the DUP, do not support it, then we, we crash out. Is that still the line of the government? That, seem, that seems to be essentially um, what the line that they're pushing and, and for obvious reasons in that it presents a pretty stark choice for MPs. Mm. Um, it's hard to see Parliament uh, allowing the UK to, to crash out without a deal. I think that's a, that is, um, I think party loyalty and, uh, you know, is very, very uh, limited under these circumstances and this is such an important issue. I think there's a real uh, uh, feeling that, that MPs wouldn't want to be responsible for a no-deal Brexit because on their shoulders would be, no doubt, a significant amount of short-term economic disruption, um, uh, you know, that would, uh, you know, could extend into sort of supermarkets and, and you know, ports and, you know, it, it, it wouldn't look pretty, that is for sure. So let's assume then that nobody wants a, a no-deal scenario. The EU27 doesn't want it either. So they do make some kinds of concessions on compromises with the UK. The House of Commons, in its collective wisdom, uh, doesn't want to be responsible for a no-deal either. Um, but that does beg the question then, what happens next? If you were talking about um, the possibility of a general election or even a second referendum, but there's also a question, isn't there, also of, of Labour Party support? And I want to press you a bit on, on your understanding where the Labour Party is coming from. They seem, at the best of times, rather Delphic in their, in their position when it comes to, 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 to Brexit. What is your, your current thinking of where the Labour Party stands on support or, not, or no support for any future deal that may come back, may come back to the House of Commons? I think there'll be uh, a serious temptation for the Labour Party to vote um, against it. So I would expect them to vote against the uh, the deal that the um, government brings back. Um, then the question will be how many uh, Labour Party members will uh, want to vote with the government on the deal. And one hears numbers um, anywhere between three or four and, you know, up to 25 or 30. Um, I don't, um, you know, I, I suspect it would be rather toward the lower numbers, those mm. lower numbers. Um, uh, but that is, that is a sort of, it's one of the things that makes this whole exercise of prediction so, so very complicated because uh, the shifting alliances that, that could take place under any number of scenarios could still leave you with any number of outcomes. Um, right. I still think it's most likely that there will be a deal that the, uh, that the government will face down 
its anti-EU factions, and the deal will be voted through the House of Commons. Uh, the UK will leave on March 29th. There will be a, uh, a transition period mm -hmm. of um, uh, 21 months, but in effect probably extendable and extended beyond that because mm -hmm. that transition period just leaves you with another cliff edge at the end of December 2020 and uh, right. we go through all this uh, turmoil again. I still think that's the most likely thing. Uh, but any number of other outcomes is possible just because of you know, the uncertainty around the way MPs are going to vote. Do you have any sense, you know, there's a view out there, as you know, that um, some of them or maybe nuanced Brexiteers uh, in the Conservative Party in particular just want to get the thing done, the withdrawal agreement signed and sealed, and then, and then get us out of the UK, out of the European Union. Uh, they're, not, they're more, maybe more pragmatic or maybe they're more strategic maybe than some of the, the more hard-nosed uh, Brexiteers we've been talking about until now. Um, do you think that's still the most likely um, outcome that, that that kind of school will prevail? That let's do let's let's accept, even though we make make a noise about it, some of the concessions that May has to make with, with Brussels, uh, but just to get us out on the 29th of March, as, as as predicted. Very much so, and we don't hear a lot, as you say, from this group um, that they, uh, you know, the biggest prize for them is, is, is to get the UK out and anything that would jeopardise that is something that they don't want to confront. So they are being uh, extremely pragmatic. Um, the question is, and there are sort of influential uh, characters in the con Conservative Party who uh, seem to be adopting this position, the question is what, what they would do once out. So um, it, uh, would they... Would they seek to take over the party? Would they seek to um, change the direction of, of the negotiations post-Brexit, uh, you know, related to the future of trade agreement? Um, uh, what, would they, what would they do? What would be their objective then? Um, I suspect this group would be, would uh, in the end, um, uh, comprise a large number of the anti-EU uh, people in the House of Commons, so I think they will be, you know, a significant um, majority of the of the Brexiteers. At least they will achieve the withdrawal of the UK. From exactly. The UK. Well, you touched on the transition period, Steve. But let's maybe finish off this chat by talking about that. As I understand it, the transition period, no matter what its du its duration, whether it's twenty one months or, or longer, as you are suggesting, uh, during that time, Britain will still be making budget contributions, still be bound by the jurisprudence of the Court of Justice, uh, pronouncements mm -hmm. of the Court of Justice, uh, still being required to accept free movement, all those things that are, are anathema to the to the Brexiteers. So in a sense, we will have left in, in five months' time, whatever it is, but in, in effect, we'll still be members with little influence over, over policy-making, decision-making. Is that right? That's, I mean, that's absolutely, that's absolutely right. And, and clearly, to the extent that this, this period is extended either uh, explicitly or implicitly uh, in, in the agreements that, uh, that follow, um, that becomes more and more of an issue. Uh, it's one thing to essentially have a transition period of 21 months in which most of the lawmaking has uh, new rules that the EU is bringing in mm. have been negotiated and talked about by the British while it was still there. Right. But it's quite another thing for the EU itself to bring in new legislation which the British must adopt uh, and which the British have never discussed. So I think democratically... Um, a lot of people think that, um, even those sympathetic to the EU, think that that halfway house is, is, is to some extent democratically 
if not economically, the worst of uh, the worst of all worlds. Okay. Well, I think we have to leave it there. Thank you very much for your time. My pleasure. Thank you.